We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Women Worth Knowing. My name is Jasmine Allnut, and I'm here, of course, with... Cheryl Bridgerson. I like a course because there have been times that I have not been here and times you haven't yes, been here. Yes, that's true. But and, and we bring people in. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah, we keep it going. But, but we, it's yes. nice when we're both here. <laughs> I like doing it with you. Yeah, so same, fun. same. So uh, today we are bringing you um, a wonderful French royal. Yes. Yes. And I, we've talked a lot about her. And so Cheryl's finally going to get a chance to share on her. We have a little two-parter. And so please, Cheryl. Tell us who we're talking about. It's such a two-parter. <laughs> well, this is Renee France. We've been talking mm-hmm. about doing her for you know quite a while because yes. so many of these women that we talk about, women who are famous during the Reformation yeah. time, they're all interconnected. It's crazy. Yeah. And, it, it, and it's just, it kind of shows you that when you walk with the Lord, it seems like it's a small world. Oh, I like you that. meet these people yeah. and you get all these connections and you're like, wait, I know that person, you know that person, and it's like family connections. Totally. They lived at a time where there was so much corruption, so much corruption. In fact, I was reading today about during that time, and we're talking about the late 1400s into the early 1500s, that it was not uncommon for the popes to have mistresses, mini mistresses, and they viewed celibacy with the papacy as more of a suggestion (sighs) than an order or a rule. Right. But maybe they thought, oh, we're not married. That's we're right. sleeping with people, but we're not yes. married. Well, so also it's like, too, gosh. The, well, for instance, we'll be talking a little bit about Lucretia Borgia. Mm-hmm. And her father was Pope Alexander. But before that, he was, you know, Rodrigo Borgia. And he had all these different mistresses. Oh, and he gosh, had quite yeah. a few illegitimate children. But they said he was, he was a good pope because he— <sighs> Always acknowledged his children and made sure they were all educated and taken care of. Oh, what a neat guy. Isn't that Whatever. <laughs> I know. <sighs> so today we're going to talk, as we said, about Renee of France. Mm-hmm. And she was born October in 1510 at the Chateau de Blois. Okay. And so I know I'm going to try to do French accents. Oh, I, yeah, I'm with you. It's but hard. it's B-L- <laughs> O-I-S, blah, blah. <laughs> but this is where Joan of Arc had sought an audience about 80 years earlier with the Archbishop of Reims. Ooh, interesting so, connection there. Yes, isn't it? So Renee's father had acquired this chateau, and it was the place where her mother, Anne of Brittany, gave birth to both of her children. Now, Renee was the daughter of King Louis Twelfth and Anne of Brittany. And she and her older sister, Claude, were the only surviving children of Anne and Louis. Now, Anne of Brittany, her mother, is a fascinating woman. Mm. She was the only heir of Francis II, who was the Duke of Brittany. So Brittany actually was the greater majority of France. It's the peninsula. It's the part that juts out into, you know, what we call the English Channel. Right. And so it's kind of the main part of France, right? That's, yeah. So the king of France who was Charles at that time, Charles VIII, he really wanted Brittany. And so when he found out that the Duke of Brittany died, Francis II died, and he left only one heir, and that was Anne. Mm. And so by default, she became the Duchess of Brittany. She was over all of it. So that would be like a 
a queen. She yeah. owned it. She had all rights to it. But of course, in those days, they were always trying to marry people off. Oh, yeah. Make advantageous alliances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she was actually engaged, Anne of Brittany, to Maximilian I of Austria. And to ensure that they got married, they got married by proxy. Because she believed he was a good man and a safe man. Well, Hmm. when the king of France found out, Charles VIII, he declared war on Maximilian and threatened Maximilian. So Maximilian revoked it. Oh, my gosh. And the marriage was annulled. And Anne was forced to renounce that marriage and marry Charles. During her marriage to Charles, she was pregnant eight times. Wow. And one of her sons lived to three years old. That was the the longest living child that she had. Mm. Most of them were stillborn. And he died of three at measles. Mm. So King Charles VIII died in 1488. And so she's still the reigning Duchess of Brittany. Mm. But Louis XII, now he is already married to a woman named Joan. But he knows that Anne is available and he wants Brittany so badly. So this is Charles' son, Louis XII? Um, no, oh, okay. no, they were something else in the succession. Oh, yeah, because brothers. they didn't have any yeah, kids. Yeah, brothers. Okay, so the brother gets the throne. Got yes. it. Yes, so this is his brother. Got it. And so Louis Twelfth, he wants to marry Anne. So what he does is he has his marriage to Joan annulled by the Pope. Now, they said that Anne said yes to the marriage proposal by Louis because she didn't believe that he could get an annulment. She thought this will not be sanctioned. What she didn't realize was Louis XII was in cahoots with the Pope. So he quickly (sighs) sanctioned the annulment to Joan, and she was married then to Louis XII. Now, Louis XII and she had a a difficult marriage because she knew that he was always after a land grab Mm. for Brittany. At the same time, it's believed that he was having an affair with a woman named Louise of Savoy. And she had a son who will later be Francis I of France. Yes, Francis I of France. Second, yeah. And so she's always on Louis XII. Let my son be your heir. Let my son be your heir. Let my son be your heir. And she also was coveting Brittany. So Anne knows this. And Anne has her first daughter, Claude. And Claude is like betrothed to Francis I, like when she's still a child, like really little like this is going to be who she marries this is the heir of france and you know this is the daughter of the king of france this is the marriage so anne of Brittany, realizing what's going on behind the scenes she takes her duchesship the reign of Brittany, and she she wills it to renee the younger daughter so mm. renee is actually 11 years younger than her sister claude oh, wow and there were lots of miscarriages in there so mm. This is not settling well with Louis XII. He's pretty upset about this. You know, like, wait, no, I've I've got this other alignment. So after Renée's birth, Anne decides to go to Brittany because she wants to garner support for herself. Like, I'm still your sovereign. I might be reigning in France, but I'm still alive and I'm still very much Mm-hmm. You know, you're sovereign. And she also wants to garner support to hand the reign over to her daughter, Renee. Mm-hmm. So she's in negotiations with all the important people in Brittany to make sure that Brittany goes to Renee. Like to secure their loyalty? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Unfortunately, Anne dies、mm. in 1514, and Rene is only three. Ooh, yeah. So her、Ooh. father, Henry, by this time had already betrothed Rene to quite a few different suitors. One of them, get this, one of them was Henry VIII. Ooh. Because it was、ah. already known when Rene's only like three years old that Henry VIII is not happy with his marriage to Catherine of Aragon. Already he wants out. Wants an heir. So、yep. he was already on the lookout for a different wife before Anne Boleyn ever came into the picture. Now, why I'm telling all of this is because Anne Boleyn actually was a very close friend of Rene. They were、uh-huh. in the court of France together. So. That's just absolving、oh, Anne、yes. a little bit of,、oh, yeah. you know, Henry was、we'll、going to marry、Anne. someone. Yes. Yeah. So Claude married Francis the first the same year her mother died, fifteen fourteen, same year, and she's fifteen years old, fourteen or fifteen years old, really, really young. But Louis the twelfth died in fifteen fifteen, the next year, and Francis the first became king, and so right away, Louise of Savoy, his mother,、mm. starts trying to get Brittany under. Her son Francis the First grasp, and this is and Francis is the brother of Jean de Albret. Yes, so that'll be a connection we make. So Louis the Twelfth died in fifteen fifteen, and Francis the First became king. Now Francis had a sister, Marguerite de Navarre. That's his sister, and Louise of Savoy is his mother, and she is trying to get this land that's Brittany. So what happens is. She begins. Marguerite de Navarre takes Renee and begins to raise her.、Mm-hmm. Now, when Claude dies in fifteen twenty four, she then takes Claude's two daughters and begins to raise these women too. Now, Marguerite is de Navarre. She's just a wonderful, what a gem, wonderful woman. Yeah, and she is again Francis the first sister, and she is. Doing just this wonderful work, but she hires a woman named Michelle de Sabon. Michelle de Sabon. All these French names are getting to me. She <laughs> hires Michelle de Sabon, who was born in 1483. But Michelle was an ardent Christian, and her father had been a Protestant, a humanist, and a nobleman. And so she was raised with all these Protestant writings,、mm-hmm. and she was educated, highly educated. She knew Hebrew. And Latin and Greek, and、mm. so she was this wonderful tutor plus a Christian, and so she was already bringing the、um, the writings of a lot of prominent Protestant pastors, including Luther, to、mm. Renee and to Claude's daughters, just to study and to know these things. And so, what happens though is Michelle had been a friend of Anne of Brittany. In fact, she had actually been. One of her consorts, you know, working with her and had been her maid, and so she knew that Anne had declared and bequeathed Brittany to Renee,、mm. and she saw that Louise of Savoy was trying to say, no, 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 it went to Claude, and so now it belongs to my son Francis the First, and then to their children, and she was like. No, no, it doesn't. So Louise of Savoy worked very hard to get Michelle. Banished from the court of、yep. France. Oh yeah, and so she was removed、She's、as、dangerous. the tutor of Rene and the tutor of Rene's nieces. Now this really upset Rene, but she kind of just 
held her ground and she waited. So Michelle moved to her own home and she taught Latin, Greek and Reformed doctrine to as many pupils as wanted her, which she had quite a lot of pupils, (laughs) as well as her own four children. Now, her granddaughter would later marry a famous Huguenot. And this Huguenot would die at the St. Bartholomew Massacre. Ooh. But he was uh, a general uh, Parthenay. But her granddaughter is Catherine de Parthenay, and she was a famous female mathematician, which was really a novelty to be Very a woman so. and to be a mathematician. But that's her granddaughter. So she had her grandmother's smarts, right? Oh, yeah. So during this whole time of intrigue and everything, the emperor of Italy attacked the pope and took him prisoner. Because, of course, the emperor of Italy wanted the Vatican. Everything's about land grabs, right? Yep, Politics, money. Right. So Francis I, as well as the king of Spain, decided to attack Italy in order to free the pope. Oh, gosh. So in their work to free the pope, they were helped by the Duke of Ferrara. And the Duke of Ferrara, Duke Estes, he is married to Lucretia Borgia. Ooh, and the Borgias were real bad. The Borgias were real, real bad. So Lucretia was accused, (laughs) well, rumor had it during that time, that she was responsible for the deaths of two of her husbands. Okay, no surprise there. Yes. One of them (laughs) ran away, and their marriage was annulled, even though she was pregnant with his child, which disappeared for a time and was later adopted. Her father was Pope Alexander. So that might have been why... Her husband was willing to let the French and and the Spanish use his little kingdom of Ferrara, because that's in northern Italy, to attack and to use kind of as their their base of operations. And so they were successful. They completely sacked Italy and saved the pope. So in recognition, Francis I, out of gratitude, said, got a son? Because what I'll do is I've got a sister-in-law, and she can marry your son. So the sister-in-law was, of course, Renée. Mm. So Renée was married to Hercule de Estes. Okay. Hercule. So it was a loveless marriage. But again, everybody wants Brittany, and she has Brittany. So the Duke Hercule, when he first saw Renee, he said, she is not pretty, but she brings other advantages. How sad. And that's sad. And we know what those advantages were. Yep. It was that she was the heir of Brittany. Mm -hmm. So what happened, though, is Francis I took Brittany away from her. Now, she's young, and he trades Mm -hmm. it away, and she's a young girl. And she's upset, but there's nothing she can do. So he gives her this area called Chartres. Now, Chartres used to be a little village, but he declares it a duchy, which is more like a, a like providence. A yes. A, okay. Mm-hmm. And, and then says that she can have all the income that comes from Chartres, as well as a palace called Montres, uh, which was about 68 miles north of Paris. Well, Interestingly enough, even though it wasn't Brittany, which would have given her lots and lots of wealth, Chartreuse brought in a big income for her. Wow. So it was said in modern standards that Renee was probably worth millions Mm. and millions of dollars. But Hercule, when he married her, swore that that was her money and he wouldn't touch it. Interesting. That it was, you know, going to be hers and he wouldn't touch it. It was 
was a lie. But nevertheless, he said that just, you know, trying, trying to, be to noble. look. Yeah. Trying to look noble. Renee said about this time, had I had a beard, I would be the king of France. I have been defrauded by that confounded Salic law. And that was the law that had to be a male heir. Yeah. And she was so upset because she was smart. She was educated. And she would have been a fantastic Man, sometimes even these Queen. aristocratic women that you think, oh, they have power and influence. It was still limited by just the fact that they were women. Exactly. Yeah. So Renee and Erkley were married in 1528, and it was a loveless and very unhappy marriage, but produced two boys and three girls. So Renee, remember, she's got her own income, and she speaks French, and she's now in this Italian duchy. Mm-hmm. You know, and so what she does is she um, begins to bring a lot of her French friends and a lot of her favorite Huguenot pastors uh-huh. to the court of France. And at the same time, she's given a villa and she takes that villa and she builds a library and she fills it with reformed theology, all sorts of books that are out and treaties um, that have to do with the Reformation. And she creates kind of like a um, schoolroom so that people can come and hear these Reformed pastors come and preach. So it's just like this amazing thing. And she's enjoying it because she's got a loveless marriage. Mm -hmm. At the same time, even though she's doing this, it was said that she did not give up her Catholicism. She didn't, you know, say I'm reformed. She right. remained a Catholic and amid a bad marriage and five children, she thrived as a young mother. She was absolutely dedicated to her children. Mm. And she was devoted to a life of doing all that was required of a good duchess, a good queen. In fact, every single Thursday, the Holy Thursday, she would wash the feet of the city's poor. And she was always distributing charity and alms to the poor. Mm -hmm. So she really was like this incredible woman Mm -hmm. who really took care of her people. Living out her faith. mm -hmm, Lived out her faith. So during this time, she hires her old tutor, Michelle, back. Mm-hmm. And Michelle comes to De Soubon, comes back to the, the court of Ferrara, and she begins to tutor all of the queen's children. And she and, Mich- and Renee study the scriptures together, pray together, worship together, and listen to Protestant pastors together. And that was this is her fellowship. This is like her lifeline. Mm-hmm is um, Renee. Because her husband wouldn't approve of this. No, he didn't, but he couldn't do anything until his father died in 1534. And when his father died, he became the reigning Duke of Ferrara. And at that point, he banished all the French nobility from the court of Ferrara, said, you know, they're not allowed. But this didn't, this wasn't just reformed or Huguenots. This also included all the poets, all the French authors, and Michel de Saban also. She was banished from the court of Ferrar, and he said that the French were spending all his money and exploiting the court, which was not true because it was Renee's money that yeah. was being used to support all these people. Yeah. Now, remember how I told you that he had sworn off, like, mm-hmm. no, I don't want your money. This well, is all yours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
about this time, he started trying to have charges brought against her, you know, and say, well, you know, she's a a Calvinist. She's with the, what did they call him? The anti, uh, the anti-church, you know, the anti-Catholics. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, tried to make it, her sound like an enemy. Mm-hmm. He even hired Jesuits to spy on her, slander her, lie about her. And all of this was really because he wanted her holdings. Totally. He wanted the income from Chartreuse. It's he not wanted, a spiritual move. No, <laughs> not at all. But Pope Paul III, having been a friend of her father's, gave her what was called exemptions for her faith. And he said, you know, she loves God so much. She's such a good person. She's doing all these charitable deeds. We're going to give her exemptions to believe in grace. We're going to give her the exemptions to listen to these um, reformed pastors. And so she agreed then to never formally leave the Catholic Church because she had exemptions. It was a, it was a safety net for her. And it allowed her to continue to save and give shelter to the reformers and to the Huguenots because she still looked outwardly like a Catholic. She kept all her duties and she had this special privilege of exemptions. Mm-hmm. And everything was, you know, going well mm-hmm. until. Hell, um, well, interesting. So 1534, I said that, that her, the death of her father-in-law. And that's when her husband kicked everyone out, which is interesting, though, because in 1535, in March, Calvin comes to her court. Interesting. And that's where he was able to, they say, finish the institute's of mm-hmm. the Christian religion, of mm-hmm. the Christian religion, uh, both volumes, and he actually he came in 1536 and he took a pseudonym, and his pseudonym his his fake name was Charles D. Espeville. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> so that's his pseudonym. Well, she and Calvin became very very close friends. They were only one year apart. She was one year older than Calvin. They were both French exiles, so to speak. Yeah. And they became very close. Also, she was so highly educated and so dedicated to Jesus that Calvin really enjoyed her company and his conversations with her. They were really enlightening. Yeah, like-minded. Right. And so after he left the court and she snuck him out of Ferrar because he was a wanted man by this time, they struck up a correspondence that lasted for the next 27 years. In fact, one of the last letters that Calvin ever wrote was to Renee. Love it. So at one point, he wrote this to her. He said, I have observed in you such fear of God and faithful disposition to obey him that even without considering the high rank he has given you among men, I've been able to appreciate the virtues he has conferred on you and would consider myself accursed if I did not take advantage of those opportunities to serve you. Therefore, Madame, to whom God has given in his infinite mercy the knowledge of his name, enlightening you in the truth of his holy gospel, you are to fulfill your vocation. So he saw her and in her an asset to the Christian faith. Yeah. And again, for 27 years, they continued to write back and forth. Mm. Now, in the meantime, uh, Francis I, who had been her brother-in-law, he remarried. 
and he remarries Eleanor of Austria, and she is a very staunch Catholic. <laughs> so he begins to appeal to Francis I, you know, please help me. She's bringing all these Calvinists in, all the Huguenots that you kick out of France. She shelters. I need some support here. And everything changes when Pope Paul dies and Pope Julius III takes his place. And so we're going to kind of leave it on that cliffhanger Man. and say there's more. because oh goodness, so much intrigue. So much intrigue. is so much, you know, going back and forth and— yeah, and we're going to continue to see with with some of the the royals. I mean, these these women just had such a target on their backs. Yes, they did for trying and to they just had no right for their fa- yeah. They had exactly. no right. And had she not been in the position of, you know, they knew they had cheated her out of Brittany. They yep. knew that could be disproven if if she went to court. But she made so much money. It was like God was blessing her, and she's protecting all these Huguenots, all these reformers, all these pastors. You'll see everything is going to change when Pope Julius becomes the Pope. Mm. So we'll talk about that in the second session. But you know, I just want to say we love talking about these women, mm-hmm. and they're women worth knowing, and and they're women that are meant to inspire and be like heroes to us of the faith. Like, yeah. look how much they went through to stand for Jesus. Yeah. You can stand for Jesus, too. Amen. And, and so maybe you have a story of someone who's close to you who say, she should be known. Yeah. We would love those stories. So you can write us at? WWK at cccm.com. You can also find us on uh, Cheryl's Gracious Words website, graciouswords.com, or uh, the women.cccm.com, which is our women's ministry website. There's lots of places for yes. you to find us. And some of you have even written in and given us names. We are definitely working on that. Each of these, you know, takes me like six to eight hours. So I like to really time. do all yes. the research and make sure that I know what I'm talking about. And, and you'll see the second half because I'm going to list off some kings just to keep everyone straight. Yes. And they all and they come back in. You'll hear these names and hear them in some of the other podcasts because they overlap each other. Yeah. Renee overlaps Marguerite de Navarre and Jean de Albrey. And That's right. All these others. Wow. <laughs> it, it, it's incredible. And they all really were inspired by one another, which is, is mm. great, too. And that's why we're doing this, that you might be inspired. So until— Next week in the second half of Renee of France. Yes. This is Cheryl and Jasmine saying thanks for joining us. And we'll be talking to you next week. You got it. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett.